This episode is brought to you by the Witty and Gritty 5-Minute Mini Journal. It's centered around Ephesians 6, 10-18, known as the Armor of God. Once you download this freebie, over the next 7 days, take a few minutes each day and dive into what the Armor of God is and why it's important to Christians in their daily walk. You can find this at wittyandgritty.blog. We'll link it in the show notes. Welcome to the Witty and Gritty Podcast, where we believe that lifelong learning and relentless determination are essential to developing your passions and reaching your goals. Here to help you along the way are the hosts of the show. Take it away, ladies. Hey, y'all. I'm Brooke. And I'm Farron. As educators and high achievers, we're passionate about providing our listeners with effective strategies to help navigate life's obstacles and reach your goals sooner. Join us as we break down credible research that gives you a fresh perspective and challenges your limiting beliefs. Laugh and grow as we share personal anecdotes and interviews from people that have demonstrated what it takes to be successful. By implementing these practices, you will develop your unique skill set and learn how to better serve your community. Get your mind right. And enjoy this time designed just for you. Okay, Farron, so this is an episode we have not had before or touched on this topic. Yes, so we know a lot of people have either been directly or indirectly affected by this, but um, drug addiction, especially in young people, honestly any age, but this episode is going to focus on how um, the use of drugs and addiction at a teen level can be very, very challenging for parents and the rest of the family, siblings included, Um, but this this couple's going to share how they uh, walked that path and got to a bright outcome. Yes, so, and at the end, stick around, because they give very specific ways on how you can help, or pray, or take action somehow, because if you are not personally experiencing this, someone you know is, which is why it's important to listen all the way through to the end to hear what they have to say. Yes, I was left feeling like I wanted to help, Yes, um, and just already praying for my kids, so... Uh, Stick around at the end so that way you can have that need fulfilled. Episode 25, we are in our interviews portion of our mini-series, 13 Things Mentally Strong People Don't Do. And we know that it's not only our favorite, but our audience favorite to hear the principles from the book in action. And today we have Jerry and Pam Lewis on the show. Yes, thanks guys for coming out. So why don't you tell us a little bit about you guys? Well, as you said, I'm Jerry Lewis, my wife, Pam Lewis, and we've been married 25 years and have an awesome marriage. Very blessed to have her. And we have three amazing children. We have Caleb, who's 18, Abby, 16, and Asher, 13. And we met actually at a public swimming pool. I decided to do my first triathlon. And I couldn't swim very good, so I had a friend help me uh, do some laps there, and she was a lifeguard there. And we were actually married seven months later. Nice. That makes me think of, like, Squints and Wendy Peppercorn. (laughs) Did you ever fake drowning so she'd come save you? (laughs) Probably did. I don't remember. (laughs) I can't take it anymore. It was a good movie, yes. Today we brought you guys on the show to talk about Caleb, your eldest of the three. He's the 18-year-old, and you guys have a really cool story with lots of twists and turns. And throughout this whole story, it's been really cool to see how you guys have reached out um, in your time of need, but then also serving others in their time of need. 
and just being mentally strong through the whole thing. Yeah, we often say that other people's battles become other people's roadmaps. So I think you guys are really living that out in the story you're about to share. And so we know that um, what you've been through and what you've learned is only going to help others in similar or relatable situations. So why don't you go ahead and walk us through just the first little bit of maybe like when you kind of noticed something going on with Caleb and then kind of when you found out there was something going on. So we we noticed in Caleb, even when he was young, 10, 11, 12, he had a really big heart, had a lot of compassion for others. I mean, I know one time we were um, driving down the road and he wanted to give the money, his money to the the homeless guy on the corner so I let him and he was always you know wanting to help others and um but I think you know looking back now in the seventh grade well I'm sorry so going leading up to that he had a, a best friend I mean since kindergarten uh, all the way to seventh grade I mean the kid was at our house all the time and Kayla was over there all the time they were just super close they had planned on going to college together well, in seventh grade, we were actually gone and we left Caleb at home with his friend and another boy came over and they ended up bullying Caleb. And that was not the first time he had been bullied. He mm-hmm. had told us even when he was in kindergarten on the school bus, he had been bullied. And so I think with his tender heart from an early age on, he was just sensitive And he would then try to be funny to cover all that up and be the class clown and really try to make things funny and airy and light. And so it was hard for us really to see that there was a struggle for him. And he did become a Christian at the age of seven. And so just kind of growing him up, teaching him the Bible, we knew he had a great memory. And so leading up then to seventh grade, when the bullying really got difficult, and as y'all know, middle school is hard for everybody and it got really, really hard for him. And so we got calls from the principal, you know, Caleb pulled the fire alarm, or we saw Caleb in a video on social media of him lighting his shoe on fire. And we're like, what is that? I mean, what is happening? And so that's when we first started to really see a huge difference in him was seventh, eighth grade. Ninth grade was awful. That's when we knew there were drugs involved, smoking weed, and... Just going back with that event happening, he never hung out with that boy again, actually. And that kind of trajected him with a different group. At the time, we didn't think it was a really negative group, but as, you know, eighth graders, but they grew up and they it was not a positive group or environment for him. And so because of that, that's kind of why he started vaping and drinking and we knew a little bit of it we didn't know how bad it was because the vapes are so easy to hide and some of them you can't smell um and it just he just got really addicted and then it just got to where marijuana and then basically any drug he could just get his hand on and that was ninth tenth grade and then the the behavior just was just terrible i mean we and that we were very intentional with our marriage to stay strong because we have two other amazing kids. And probably the only time we, I don't want to say argued, but we just didn't agree on how to 
handle the situation. I mean, we were desperate. Yeah, that's hard, especially when we talk, we use the term intense fellowship in our CG. So we don't want to say like fight or argue, but like, well, we had some intense fellowship today. Mm, that's a great way to put it. But, and, and we, we have this, it's like the age old conversation. What do you do when you're a team, but y'all disagree on the process, but something has to happen and mm -hmm. you're, you're trying everything and doing everything you know how. So how did you know what to do next? Well, uh, we did reach out to our community group. We're very involved. We actually lead a community group and uh, they were really strong praying for us, helping us. Um, Pam started doing a lot of research um, on rehab centers, places that Caleb could go. Uh, at the time, Caleb had just turned like 16. Mm -hmm. And it just got to the point to where we knew we were going to do something because, I mean, honestly, I was afraid of him. And my son was afraid of him. His brother was afraid of him. We had to lock our door at night. So he ended up stealing my gun and trading that for drugs. And that was kind of our rock bottom. Um, I mean, this is prior to him running away, sneaking out, um, stealing money, stealing from others, stealing from us, stealing from his brother and sister. So after her doing a lot of research, um, because these places are very expensive, um, and we had to find a lockdown facility, which even narrows the options, because uh, Caleb wasn't going to volunteer to go. Um, so she finally found a teen ranch in Arkansas. And so my brother and a friend uh, got Caleb up at two in the morning and had to force him into a vehicle. <clears throat> and that was pretty awful. He, he fought and cussed him pretty much the whole way there. And they had to force him into the rehab center. We actually followed them in our car and got him checked in and, um, he was there for about 30 days and he ran away twice, even though he had an ankle monitor and he's in the middle of nowhere in the mountains. Um, but I, we looking back, he did it to get kicked out, which he did. He got kicked out and he thought he'd come home. Well, he didn't come home. We had to hire a transport company, um, which I didn't even know they had those, but there was a lot of them. Um, and they transported Caleb from Arkansas to Tijuana, Mexico, a 25 hour drive. And he was there for about seven months. To go back a little bit, how did the conversations go? Like when you first started noticing behaviors, like with Caleb, what were those conversations like? Because you talked about how y'all worked through it and reached out to a community. But um, how did those progress from maybe just like, yeah, I know I shouldn't have. I'm just trying to envision to then like, forget y'all. I'm going to do what you want. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it did. So it, it, it did start out as, you know, we have to discipline you. We're taking your phone, you know, all the discipline things we try. And then like Jerry had said before, we had tried everything. We're like, what are we doing? So we'd say, you know, Caleb, we've got to talk. He's like, okay, you have five minutes. What do you want? You know, and, and now when we talk to him about it, he's like, I, I said that because I, I couldn't look y'all in the face because I knew what I was doing was so wrong, but I didn't know how to get out of it but he would cuss cuss us out you know he he and Jerry couldn't even be really in the same room together I kind of felt like I was the mediator in the middle trying to just make things somewhat normal but it was far from normal hey you wouldn't 
like Jerry said, the brother and sister were afraid of him. So the conversations got smaller and smaller and smaller to where we really were reaching out to people like, what do we do? We called counselors trying to get help yeah. and say, this is what he's doing. What do we do? Until finally they admitted to us, you know, you're going to have to send him away. Okay. And that was. It just got to where every time we tried to talk to him, it just ended up in a fight or a big argument. He just run away. And and so to the point where we told him, okay, so this is it. We're not doing this anymore. You know, we're going to send you to treatment. He's like, oh no. You know, and he, freaked out of course and to where the point anytime I had to take him anywhere doctor's appointment orthodontic whatever I'm not getting in your car I can't you're going to take me somewhere and so then he's again just running away more and more to where the police officers had to intervene for us to be able to bring him home or go find him or so just no communication really is where it ended up you have multiple people doing different roles. So you brought your CGN, they were praying, they were helping you seek wise counsel. Counselors were there to give you next steps. Pam, you were the research queen. Jerry, you were trying to like facilitate it all. So I, I like how everyone was playing their own role in it. And you even had, you said your brother and, and who yeah, my brother. Yeah, and... It, I'm glad they stepped up to do that. That took vulnerability. Was that at all hard to let other people in on what y'all were going through? It was at first. Um, you know, of course, in the beginning, we, we blamed ourselves. We're like, what, you know, what did we do wrong? You know, where could we have done better? So we're, we blamed ourselves. But, I mean, we got to a point where we were, we were very humble and because um, we got really desperate. <laughs> Mm -hmm. you know we couldn't do it ourselves anymore mm -hmm. and when we did reach out how overwhelming the reception was of oh that's happened to me or yes. that's happened to my brother's son or you know so many people this has happened to before and people would say I'm so happy that you have spoken up about it which is totally opposite of me I'm not a very open out in public type person and again, so it was very hard in the very, very beginning, but then when more people came around and were just saying such sweet thing, love, praying for you, it really helped. Yeah. Yeah, I was, I was surprised too by how many people came out and were went through the same thing or they had, you know, a cousin or a nephew that went through the same thing and just how many people like text me privately that I would have never thought had problems. They were like, yeah, I used to be an alcoholic. I used to be on drugs. And so let me help you. And I was just like, wow, I can't believe this. So Caleb was in the facility. He was in the Arkansas one for a little bit and then went to one in Tijuana for long, an extended longer, over half a year. So walk us through like kind of how that, where it turned a corner, how it changed, what kind of happened from there. So the place in Tijuana, um, it was a lockdown facility. It's a very small place. And actually, when we tell people Tijuana, it, you think of, you know, just danger and drugs, terrible place. It actually is a beautiful place. Uh, we went and visited him three times there. Um, and where he was was a beautiful uh, house right off the beach. Um, unfortunately, the really bad thing is when he was there, that's when COVID hit. So he actually, the first six months, he never even left the house. Didn't walk outside. Didn't even walk outside. Um, they had him so locked down. Because normally they'd be out 
serving the community, volunteering, being able to go to the park and, you know, play soccer, basketball, but they never got to go out. So that was really hard on him, which I mean, I can understand that's got to be tough. So in fact, I think it was our second visit. Um, he walked from the house across the street to meet us. And that was the first time he'd ever been out of the house in mm -hmm. six months. So it was, mm -hmm. it was kind of an eye opener. The facility was nice. Uh, it was not Christian based. Um, we know now that looking back, he was actually getting high there. Um, and they were sneaking vapes and using um, aerosol, using aer cans. aerosol cans to get high, which is very dangerous. Um, in fact, one time he asked us to bring a bunch of axe body spray, body spray. and he was like, bring, make sure you get some for my friends. And I thought, oh, he's being so nice, but no, he was using it to get high. So anyway, um, where the story really turns is that Pam and I, we bought a new house. We were remodeling it. So we went to Home Depot to get some prices on some things. And we ran into two men that were selling banana bread. And they started telling us their testimony. And I was like, this is my son. I said, tell me more about this place. And they said, it's Victory Life. <clears throat> it's a ministry. We sell banana bread to fund it. It's totally free for people to come. Um, we're just a men's and women's home. And we actually took those two men to dinner and found out more. Got the director's name. I called him the very next day and fell in love with the guy. Um, his name is Ken Holbrook. And then we drove out to where the facility is in Van, Texas. It's right past Canton. Fell in love with the facility and Ken. Ken was kind of reluctant to take in Caleb because he was a teen. And like I said, it was just a men's home. They had about 40 men at the time. Uh, but then we had to uh, get Caleb to get on board because it's a volunteer program. So we actually went to visit Caleb with our family. On his birthday. Oh, yeah. Right before his birthday. Mm -hmm. And I told Caleb, I said, son, just go to this place for 90 days and you'll be home for Christmas. And he was very reluctant because he's out oh, too much Jesus. And uh, he talked to Ken on the phone. Yeah, Ken did call him. And he told him what they do in the program. And it's it is a lot of Bible study and a lot of Jesus, which we loved. That's what he needed. Yeah. So we convinced him to go for the 90 days. And I knew, and he even will say it then at the time, he's like, yeah, I'm just going to do my 90 days and I'll be done and I'll be back home getting high. And so we got him in two weeks before Christmas. We go to visit him. And he tells us that God is telling him to stay longer. What? Yeah. So I want to back up just a little bit. So, again, just knowing things now that Caleb's kind of told us more of his story. When he was in Tijuana and completely locked down, as bad as that sounds to us, that was God's way of really getting him to his rock bottom. Because he tells us when he was in the shower one day, he, the tiles were broken in the shower, and he picked one up and started cutting himself. And he looks down, he sees blood. And looks out the window that had bars upon bars upon bars on it. And he's like, what am I doing? And I think that he felt the nudge of the Holy Spirit then telling him, you know, there's something better. And so he did 
reach out to God then and it's like, please help me. You know, this is not what I want. Either take me, let me die now or save me. And so then fast forwarding to our visit that we went to see him in Tijuana, he did start to feel the nudge of the Holy Spirit. And he will tell you now to this day, the reason for his success is all God. He will, he will not take any credit for that. Um, you know, he thanks us for helping him, but really it's all God. And again, just to hear him transform then the couple of months at Victory Life, it was from September to December, had the biggest transformation. And then again, from December to even what, March? Mm-hmm. This interview is coming after our series on um, mentally strong. And so during this process, even making the decisions with the different facilities, how did you, did you ever feel like, what are we doing here? Are we doing the right thing? And how did you navigate those? Because it's it can't be easy, even if you're like, this might be the only thing to save them, to send them off and be confident every day that we're doing the right thing. So how'd you navigate those maybe? if you had any doubts in what you were doing? Yes, we did. It was very tough. It was a lot of prayer. Actually, I probably never, well, both of us had never prayed that much in our life. I mean, on our knees. But we got a lot of references from the place in Tijuana, from parents. I talked to several parents and they said great things about the place. Um, I mean, the, the thing is he was safe. Um, healthy, um, and as Pam said, that's that's kind of where he he hit his rock bottom. And then being at Victory Life, he had a little more freedom, but he was just being loved on um, by the director Ken. <clears throat> and because Caleb did so well, fast forward. Well, Caleb got baptized there. Um, started stepping up into some leadership roles, um, started going to, to high school, went back to school, um, got on the soccer team, uh, got MVP of his team, got straight A's, captain. I mean, just a total, total turnaround. And praise Jesus. <clears throat> and he, he gives glory all to God. Uh, but because Caleb did so well, they actually bought, well, not bought, but they're renting a home just for teens. So now they have six teens in this home and Ken and his wife live in the home with them. And Caleb is the leader uh, in the home and they're mentoring him um, because now Caleb wants to be in the ministry. So, And I think to go back maybe and to answer a little more of the mentally strong part of it, we didn't feel mentally strong. Um, I think what helped us the most like Jerry said, was praying, being our knees, and just knowing that really the, the only the only thing that could help was God and the people surrounding us and knowing that we had support. And I think because we were on the same page, I'm so thankful that both of us are Christians. I've talked to so many families now that either aren't Christian or one is and one isn't that have asked us questions about their children and what to do in this kind of situation. Our biggest um, advice to them is be on the same page. You have to be. 
because there were so many days we'd look at each other and go, is this really the right thing? And really we didn't know. And one day he was strong and I wasn't. And then, you know, one day I was strong and he wasn't. And so I think just having the two of us, you know, both Christians on the same page is, is so helpful. Having God as the center, you know, helped us keep going and then how to find support from our family and community group. And so looking back on, I don't, I couldn't say we were mentally strong, but thank goodness we have Jesus. Yeah, there were days we, we literally did not know what to do. So yeah, we, God definitely directed us there. Mm-hmm. So what would you recommend to maybe the parent that's like apprehensive and might say things, well, they don't want to go. So I guess maybe someday they'll get better. And then, or the, well, I'd love to have help in community and support, but I don't want people to know what if they think bad about me uh, or we're just going to handle our family business internally. I know that's kind of two questions in one, but (laughs) Those are some normal questions that we've heard them. You know, I, I would just go back and tell them our story, you know, and just say we had to make Caleb go as hard as that was. And, you know, we had to lie to him and that was so hard to do, but I know that's what we had to do. And as hard as we don't want to, you know, send your kid away, sometimes that's what we have to do, you know, and we have to do those hard things. And so that's what I would say. You just don't ask the kid, you know, because Caleb will say he doesn't even remember half of the stories of what he did or didn't do. Because he was high so much. Yeah, they don't know. Mm -hmm. And so you have to go ahead and make those decisions as hard hard as it is or as bad as it is. And uh, don't think, oh, gosh, well, what do you want to do today, honey? You know, for the kid. (laughs) You know, you can't really ask their opinion on that. I think in the beginning we were that way, but like I said, we just got desperate. And I think if you truly love your your son or daughter, you're going to do whatever it takes to get them help. And I think they'll end up being desperate, and they'll be asking for help. They'll be begging God and begging others, and and they'll find help for their their child. And this has really kind of turned into a ministry for us. I mean, we've been able to help several families uh, going through this. There's actually... um, a lady that does Pam's boot camp that had a nephew in Florida on drugs and just going through the same thing Caleb was. And uh, his mom drove him from Florida to Victory Life in East Texas. And one day checked him in. He's been there for four months. No longer than that. Almost six months. Oh, really? Six mm-hmm. months. And he's doing great. Um, and Pam has talked to several moms uh, with their kids are going through the same thing and what's crazy it's it's 12 13 14 year olds they're on drugs and it's it's mind-blowing um how bad it seems like it's gotten worse uh for families and for for teens um and there's such a need i mean the the people that can afford the nice places there's a waiting list and even for victory life they can only take two more teens. Um, the places are mostly full. It's it's crazy. But it has been a ministry for us to help other families, which has been a, a blessing to others too. We are so thankful that y'all said yes to coming on the show. We know that this, y'all's ministry, 
even if you think it's just small and just two people, you're the ripple effect is already helping so many people. So we are so thankful that you are willing to come on the show and talk about all of this. Well, thank you for having us. Well, I will say one more thing that Caleb now, he, he wants us to pray for boldness for him. Um, he says it's tough in the locker room because he's on the football team now. He's the captain of the football team, which is incredible. Still making straight A's. Um, and he started last week a Bible study at lunch at the school. And he had one person show up. <laughs> but just so proud of him. It's, so if it's, more people can pray for him yeah. to keep it going. Yeah, he, like I said, he wants to be in the ministry now, which we just wanted him to get clean, but now he's wanting to serve Jesus. <laughs> I think it just means that all the actions you took, maybe you were like, we just want him clean and healthy, but how far above and beyond, um, like you guys have said, that God's turned this, you know, story around for you and your family. Um, and so you guys seem to be really good, like researchers. I don't know if you just like Googled it, but we will if you don't mind sharing like y'all where people can find you, if they're looking for support or if you have other places you'd recommend them to start with any websites or resources. Mm. I'd say email us. Oh, yeah. <laughs> There's so many, it's mind blowing how many places really there are, yes. how many treatment centers. And I do have a long list. So it'd be easier just to email me and, and then I can kind of help direct people different ways. Cause there is, there is, it kind of depends on what their son or daughter is going through. Okay. And uh, that kind of helps direct to the, maybe a certain facility also depends on how much money they have, um, which you asked. So I will say victory life. It is free for teens and women and men, but there are costs. So if anyone would like to donate to victory life, uh, we'll take it or they'll take it. Sounds good. We'll link all of that Victory Life stuff up in the show notes to whoever is listening to this. That way you can easily click and we'll also put in Pam and Jerry's email. That way it is easy to get to. Thank you so much for being on the show and sharing your story. I can't wait just to see how many lives are changed. Thank you. Thank you guys. We help hardworking Christian women get the growth they want by giving them the tools they need in order to have more joyful lives. We love providing our Christian-based personal growth podcast to our listeners at no cost. If you are enjoying the content, please consider supporting our mission by donating to our Patreon. We're a small team creating the show for our community by researching, recording, and producing the episodes ourselves. Any amount is greatly appreciated. Your support will help offset the cost of making and hosting the show. As a thank you, you can receive exclusive access For more details on specific membership tiers, visit our Patreon page. Go to patreon.com forward slash witty and gritty. We've included the link in the show notes.